We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. Dan Schneier joined as always my co-host Nick Filato. Today we're here to do another draft profile, and we wanted to turn the page here. We've done one profile on a running back so far, Zach Charbonnet, just a player that we both love in this class. We want to do a profile on. Haven't done many more running backs because since that point, the Giants have franchise tag Saquon Barkley, which they hadn't done before that. And they've made mention, at least, that their objective here, at least John Marriott, the owners they've mentioned, is to re-sign Saquon Barkley to a long-term deal. But that, I don't think, rules them out completely from the running back market, especially as we get closer to rounds three, rounds four, where there might be an overwhelming talent gap between the running back they have graded highest on their board and either position. And at the same time, Nick, I think they might look at this like, we need weapons on offense no matter where and how we can get them. And we saw some of that at the end of last season, which we'll talk a little bit more about today, when the Giants used, started using more of that pony package with both Matt Breida and Saquon Barkley on the field. Well, if you're Joe Shane, if you're Brian Dable, you might be thinking, what if we subbed out Matt Breida, we put in someone who has even more speed, even more elusiveness, even more talent, even more explosiveness, even more big playability. And that leads us to Tajay Spears, the running back who we're going to discuss today from Tulane. And part of why we wanted to discuss him is, the Giants are using a top 30 private visit on him. There are hundreds of draft prospects in this class. 250 plus get drafted. Only 30 go to these teams for private pre-draft visits. Now, that doesn't mean everyone who's being uh, courted on these visits is going to be a target for the Giants. Some of these players, they probably just want to learn more information on or get a better feel for their medical. I think a good tweet today, I don't know if you saw this, Nick, from Albert Breer, was like, Josh Downs has zero private uh, visits planned right now because Josh Downs is such a clean evaluation that people don't feel the need to bring him in. And I'm not saying that's why they're bringing Tajay Spears in, but when they're bringing him in for a private 30 visit, it feels like there's definitely some interest. And the Giants drafted three players last year who were on private top 30 visits. So that's something to keep in mind as well, because obviously, you know, that has a hit that shows that there's a history there. So I'm excited to talk about Tajay Spears this today, Nick, because I think there is a place in this draft where the Giants are picking in either round three or round four, where if they selected a Tajay Spears, I can get really excited about what he could potentially bring for the offense as early as year one. Same here, man. This is a wildly productive player at Tulane, a player that I feel like he's not the biggest, right? He's like 201, 202 pounds, might even play a little bit lighter than that, but he's wildly elusive. And there were plenty of times throughout his tape, which we'll get into where it was him and a, either a linebacker or a safety who played the, 
the play very well. Like they were in position to tackle Spears, but the way Spears kind of contorts his body in a very sudden manner really makes it difficult for those defenders to make that tackle in the gap. And I think that's a translatable trait at the next level, especially when we're talking about for the Giants' sake, player is not going to be a bell cow. I don't see this guy being a bell cow back. I don't see him being a, yo, I'm going to get 20 touches a game. But if you want to give him 10 to 13 to 15 touches, six of them through the air or something like that. He's an excellent change of pace guy. And as you brought up, we saw the Giants really dive into 21 personnel to their pony package, won a playoff game based on it. There were so many big plays against the Minnesota Vikings because of that pony package. And as much as we like Matt Breida, Matt Breida is going to come back. Matt Breida is not a certainty to make this team. And if the Giants were to make the investment in a player like Taji Spears, that adds a completely different level to what this team has right now. Like we're talking about Matt Breida, only better with more juice, younger, those types of things. So I will entertain a player like this specifically in the third round for the New York Giants. And that's even if he's still available, this guy could realistically go in the second round in a deep running back class. That's just at least what it seems like. It seems like so many teams covet this player's skill set. I completely agree with you. Even in a class this deep, I think there's a good chance he goes off and board in round two because he is one of the more unique backs in this class. You mentioned he's not going to be a bell cow, but I think we're starting to turn the page and as are a lot of NFL teams on the necessary need for a bell cow. A bell cow, who wants a bell cow these days, honestly? like You, you have a bell cow in your offense. There's no longevity behind that. You can dry, grind it out for a few years, but eventually it runs out there. I think you more so want the model that you see out some of these other teams have, which is kind of two or three really good backs at once in the same backfield and leaning on your offensive line to help create a run game. And I think he can make an impact very similar to, but I actually like him more as a player. I don't think he has as much deep speed, um, straight line speed, but I think he has everything else maybe a little bit better than Tony Pollard, who the Cowboys drafted in round three, I believe, maybe round four, and was a massive reason the Cowboys offense was good last year. If you just dig into some of the Cowboys stats last year, Pollard was responsible for a lot of their explosive plays. Pollard was responsible for breaking games open where it was close and they were dragging along in quarter three and four against some of the uh, the, the sub 500 teams that the Cowboys beat last year to help them make the playoffs last year. And then they eventually won a playoff game. Pollard became honestly their best offensive player behind CD lamb. And some people would even argue that he was more impactful because he had more explosive plays. And I actually don't comp. Tajay Spears to Tony Pollard. Tajay Spears reminds me in a lot of ways of Aaron Jones, another day three running back who the Packers select. And everyone said, this dude's not going to be much. You can use him, I guess, as a change of pace. That's always get the change. of These guys always get a change of pace level uh, label. But it's like, is Aaron Jones a change of pace back at the NFL level? Hell no. Aaron Jones is a dynamic back who's one of the most impactful backs on a person that basis. Sure, he can't take 30 carries a game, but who gives a crap? You don't want that anyway. And a good offense isn't running the ball 30 times a game anyway, unless the defense is also so good that you're up like 28 nothing in every game and you just have to run the clock out. So to get a guy like this, I'm very excited that the Giants are showing interest in him. You mentioned one thing about his game that I wanted to stand uh, start with here, Nick, as just a trait that I love the most about him. Despite not having the prototypical size, he's five foot nine, two hundred one. He did actually take on a massive workload at his in his collegiate career. Last year for Tulane, he had fifteen hundred eighty six rushing yards, nineteen touchdowns, and a thousand fifty two of those fifteen hundred eighty six yards were after contact. So, like you said, despite not being a huge back, he is great at creating yards after contact. And I can't tell you, man, how many times I'm watching clips of Spears or watching any game from him. And I just see an incredible amount of combination of contact balance, Nick, and lower body strength. There's just so many examples of defenders falling off of his legs. 
Maybe that's because he's winning the leverage battle. Maybe it's the contact balance or the lower body strength. I don't know what all leads to it, but this is a player who averaged 6.8 yards per carry, 31 touchdowns at his collegiate career, and people are just falling off of him trying to make tackles. And Dan, you were talking about how players just fall off of Taji Spears more often than not. This is an excellent play. This is like a 60-yard run that got Taji Spears all the way down to like the five-yard line or something against USC. So this isn't against some slouch team. And watch how he runs directly into guard. And 53 has him dead to rights, but just look at how low he gets and how he feels that 53 is coming into contact. Now he swivels his head to the outside and he just completely makes 53 miss. And now he's faced up against four, the alley defender who is right directly in the alley. And he's able to just press that inside foot in the ground. See how he pressed his inside foot into the ground and just exploded off of it. And now four, that angle is no longer there anymore. Four th thinks he has him, but he reads that he can just use his speed to break away from four and then get outside of nine, find the block from 84 and then just hit the jets, man. Just take it all the way down to like the five yard line. Like this guy is not easy to bring down despite the fact that he is only like 200 pounds. Some of the things that I really appreciate about his game. And I have that all throughout his profile that I wrote over there at giants country. I think he's very good attacking laterally, but he can, as we just saw there, run inside of the box. And yes, he bounced it outside, but he has that type of natural feel to kind of weave and pick through blocks. And then if he does have clean blocks in front of him, the burst and the acceleration through the hole, I would say is excellent, right? And those are the things, some of the things that we that we see basically all throughout his senior tape. And one, one concern from Taji Spears is the fact that he did tear his ACL in 2020, but this is now two years removed from that torn ACL, two productive years. So I think that's just uh, maybe one thing that might give some evaluators a little bit of concern, but it doesn't concern me all that much when we've seen him play this well through the last two seasons. Yeah, recovering from that ACL is always tricky, but it looks like he's gotten over that hump. And we'll get into some more concerns. I at least have a few that I want to breach at some point, but I want to talk still through a few things I really like about Tajay Spears' game. And one of those things was the production that came out in that USC game. Look, Tulane was playing a bowl game there against a power five team USC. I understand USC's defense wasn't good last year, but when you watch that game and you see the guys that they're putting out there on the offensive line for Tulane and they're matched up against the USC defensive front, there is a massive gap in not only just the talent level and the recruits, but just the pure sheer size. And to be able to rack up like he did 205 total yards and four rushing touchdowns, and in my mind, watching this game, I thought he single-handedly, they they won that game too late, 46 to 45, in like a in like a nice comeback at the end type of win. 205-4 touchdowns. I felt like he single-handedly was the reason they won this game. And when they start to see stuff like that, this guy carrying his team, carrying his offense, it gives you vibes of like these players, like last year, early season, when Saquon Barkley was carrying the Giants offense. And I'm not saying he can do that for sure at the NFL level. But I know that he's done it before, despite having the massive talent gap with that two-lane offensive line against that USC defensive front. And it was a very exciting game to watch. It was my favorite that he watched on film. I thought another interesting thing about his profile that I noticed that you also made mention of is that he does have experience running in both power gap and zone blocking scheme because they did a lot of both there at Tulane. Despite not having the offensive lineman, they actually ran a pretty fun, diverse run scheme. So I think that will help him translate as well. I think it will certainly help him translate. And I'm glad you brought up how he was kind of a bell cow for Tulane. Now, I don't think that's necessarily translatable at his size, the NFL level, but let's take the context of Tulane as a football team into account here. Tulane was two in, in, a, in a 10, I think actually it was, in 2021. Last year, they won, what, 12 games? I think they were 12 and two. That's a complete turnaround 
yeah. beats USC and the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in the bowl game. That is one of the coolest stories in college football. And he was the impetus to it all on offense. They had a really good defense. All right. But offensively, every defensive coordinator was circling Taji Spears. And despite that, the guy did not have less than 120 rushing yards from week seven all the way to that bowl game win against USC. It was 154 against USF, 125 against Memphis, 157 against Tulsa, 130 against UCF, 121 against SMU, 181 against Cincinnati, 199 against UCF, and then 205 against USC with two touchdowns against SMU, two touchdowns against Cincinnati, a touchdown against UCF, and then four against USC. That is elite production. And some of those teams right there, they're not just, you know, the run of the mill shit college football teams. Some of them are, but some of them are actually pretty good programs. Yeah. And that's goes to show what he was able to do. And the reason why is because if you watch his game, we'll get into some of the stuff that, that you can maybe translate and try to project such as his explosive, you know, the athletic testing. And then also what we saw at the senior bowl, which I think opened a lot of eyes, which was, look, this guy wasn't really using a diverse sprout tree at college on tape. But when you saw him at the senior bowl and you're looking at him in these one-on-one matchups, you're like, you get the right coordinator and you get the right coach at the NFL level, can he be a weapon in one-on-one? Can anyone really hang with him in one-on-one? These linebackers or safeties, where you're going to put. So that's all the projection stuff. But just like from what you actually see on the tape, there's not that much projection that's needed, in my opinion, for a player like Spears. I think it's that the tape is that good. Like you talked about a little bit before, Nick, but the patience with Spears, I loved watching. I felt like he did a really good job on some of these runs of showing great patience and then that acceleration and that ability to go bang right through that crease at 0 to 60. Like you said, some of that is because he is small and he finds a way in a lot of times to kind of like use his body to or use his i guess i should say there you go there's the one-on-one rep for whoever's watching on on youtube right now this is just a route he ran in one-on-ones where he just stanky legged the defender and created four or five yards stanky leg the tempo off the line of scrimmage and look how low he's getting this is uh courtesy of ian cummings by the way but watch look at the knees are that knee is essentially on the ground and then he plants that inside one and just comes out of it and look in the nfl are you going to have that much time to run routes like that consistently? Probably not, but he still has the capabilities of doing so. Not many athletes have that type of coordination and body control to do what we just saw right there on the YouTube. It was a pivot route or turn route back to the inside in a one-on-one isolation where these defenders are at such a disadvantage. But the only reason I highlight it is because it showcases the athletic capabilities and how this man can contort his body and his agility and his explosiveness out of his brakes, not necessarily just because he absolutely made that pit defender look terrible there. Yeah, and it shows off the lower body flexibility, that angle flexion that you've always talked about. Like, that ability to make that cut, it's not just when he has the balls and running back in the open field. It's all or when he's being patient behind the line, tempoing his run, and then, cre- and then creasing it. It's when he's in one-on-ones and at least as you could project it to the next level, he could be a real big weapon in your pass game as well. I think any team that if we do see what we talked about earlier, Nick, where like there is one team that says F it, I need to add this kind of talent to my offense right now. And I can help us get to the next level. And they do take him like top 50, which I think is possible, by the way. I think it's possible this dude goes top 50, top 60. I really do. Just because of how unique his skill set to me is. Like, there are a lot of good running backs in this class, but I think he offers something a little bit different from an explosion standpoint. And they'll be saying to themselves, we think we can use him in our pass game. We think he can be a weapon in our pass game immediately. It doesn't matter that he wasn't really doing much of that at the at the collegiate level. And one other thing about his game that I want to talk about, or a few other things, but one thing I want to get to now, I talked about the patience. You talked about... um 
the flexibility, the tempoing, the ability cut. But I just felt like he also ran a lot of times. I kept writing this down when I was watching him, Nick, which is such a violent like nature to his style. Like I just love the, for some of these smaller backs, you sometimes see them come in and they will be the type of guys that get the football. And then they just have too many examples of them trying to cut to the outside and like win on the edge. Spears doesn't have, like he has examples of that, but for a lot of the time, he's just like violently getting vertical on these runs and just firing into the, into spots. And I'm just like, this dude does not run like he's five foot nine, 200 pounds. No, he does not run like that. And he had like, I think 4.55, yards after contact. So this is somebody, and I think part of that is because of that short area quickness and that lateral agility. If the defender has him squared up, he does a really good job putting that defender into a pretty tough spot to make the tackle, to secure that tackle. You really need to have kind of fly into the tackle point because he is so sudden and so quick. Had 63 forced missed tackles. Because it's not like Taji Spears is running through you, right? That's not how he mm-hmm. necessarily wins. He more kind of runs around you and has the strength and the contact bounce to run through your poor tackling attempts. But what he thrives at doing is creating the poor tackling attempts, despite the fact that he might be teed up by a defender. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about this game. He's not a pile mover. That's not Taji Spears, but he is somebody who is going to make it very difficult. And Dan, I'll bring up a play right here. I just found on my computer that really showcases what I just said. And I want to talk a little bit about what you just said, because I thought that was really interesting and it's not, I haven't heard it really described that way before. And I think it's a really good way to describe it. No, he's not the guy who's pushing tackles, but what was, what was the thing you said? I, I just, I, I miss it. Cause I was thinking about the clip you were bringing up, but the way you described how he can force missed tackles, it's by setting up the, it's, it's the way he sets up how those defenders are going to tackle. It reminds me like a Kadarius Tony in the open field, Alvin Kamara in the open field. Those guys aren't pushing piles either, but the way that they set up their runs, it's really hard once you get contact with them to bring them down. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is. It's a very hard. And this play right here, it's a shotgun run where he finds the hole. The blocking is solid, but 13, the linebacker that might, I'm not sure. No, that's not Ivan Pace. I believe Pace is zero because this is against Cincinnati. He has a really nice rep against Pace, but watch how he just stanky legs that guy to the outside. And then 10 tries to tackle him. He gets upfield and then he has the type of peripheral vision to see that somebody else is coming from backside pursuit. He feels it. I don't know if somebody's communicating to him, but watch, he shouldn't be seeing this cornerback from the backside, but he feels it and he just cuts and gets right around him and runs right into the other defender who tackles him. He just has a very natural feel 
for where defenders are and where defenders are coming from. And I really do love this kid's profile moving forward into the NFL. I feel like you don't really find many people who don't like his profile, but I think it is, I don't want to say he's a niche player because I don't think that's fair. I, I honestly got Tony Pollard vibes, just like you said before. So when you brought him up, I kind of smiled. I didn't put that in my profile. We didn't bring that up either together, but that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of upside I think he offers. Look, Tony Pollard is a good running back, but do you want to give Tony Pollard 25 touches a game? Probably not. But if you give him 15 and have another running back to kind of work in a committee with him, then you're talking about 15 incredibly valuable touches. Yeah. And I also agree. I think Pollard's a little bit more explosive straight line, but that's not because Taji Spears isn't like Taji Spears is excellent. It's just Tony Pollard. I feel like is very rare if you get him in a space, but Spears might be a little bit better in terms of the just understanding of the entire landscape around him, that kind of spatial awareness. Although Pollard's pretty damn solid at that too. Yeah, it's funny because I think Pollard and, and even Aaron Jones, I mentioned a little bit earlier, are definitely better straight line athletes and more explosive in that way than a Tajay Spears type. Tajay Spears at his pro day, he didn't run at the combine. His pro day he ran a four four seven, and I think that tracks pretty well. I don't think he has that Pollard kind of long speed. But I will say this, in a lot of the other traits, I, I in some ways, like you said, I like him maybe more than Pollard. I like his spatial awareness more than Pollard. I like his contact balance. Pollard is great contact balance, but I think this dude is like elite level contact balance. I love his ability to change directions and cut and his flexibility. And again, Pollard has that too, but I feel like it's maybe at an even better level with Spears. There's a lot I like to his game. And then I didn't even talk about what I mentioned before, that violent nature to his, his style of running. That's something he also brings that's different. But I also want to talk a little bit about some of the traits that might, um, from the athletic testing standpoint, that might translate to what he can be at the next level. I mean, this is a really explosive athlete by the testing, not just by the film. 91st percentile and 87th percentile in the vertical and broad jumps will show off explosiveness. And 92nd percentile hand size also was intriguing to me. I saw that one and stood out because I'm like, look, if a team is drafting him, they do think that they can really fully make a massive expansion to his pass game role at the NFL level. I really do believe that. And the giants included, if they draft him would be one of those teams as well. And that's something that I look for. 92nd percentile hand size hands were not. And, and that also, I think plays in a role in the fact that he was actually really good. Nick, at ball security, which you don't expect for a back like this. You you watch a back like this and you're expecting to see the ball go on the ground a lot. But he had just three fumbles his entire collegiate career. And that includes that 2022 season we just talked about where he was a true workhorse, racking up hundreds of touches for Tulane. And yet, I think the, that hand size could play a big role in one, translating to be a more natural pass catcher at the next level. And then two, ball security at the next level. And one thing about the natural pass catcher too, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. I didn't feel like he was overly natural as a pass catcher, like a Tony Pollard yeah. is. I feel like there were times where he was kind of struggling with the football and it was kind of just like kind of throwing his big ass hands out there, but wasn't just like an effortless, like, okay, I track it right into my hands and then boom, next thing I know it's, it's in my forearm and I'm ready to go. Like, I feel like I agree. probably work on that a little bit, but for the YouTube audience, I, I did bring up one play. I, I mentioned the Ivan pace play. I found in my notes pace is number zero right here. He's the linebacker from Cincinnati an undersized guy. A lot of people are saying that, He's similar to Malcolm Rodriguez last year. I think Malcolm Rodriguez is a better player, but I still think Ivan Pace is a would be a solid day three addition to an NFL team. But what is this right here? Giants ran this a lot earlier in the season. Wildcat. You have Taji Spears as the Wildcat back in the red zone. And watch how he sifts through his blocks, feels his blockers out, and then watch how he tempos this. See how he just varies up his approach to kind of force Ivan Pace to stutter right there. 
Yeah. Like, oh, is he going to cut back inside? And then Ivan Pace, watch. You see how Ivan Pace chopped his steps up? Because Ivan Pace has him dead to rights. This is just a very smart run by Tajay Spears to alter his footwork to give Ivan Pace the illusion that he might cut back inside. And that forces Ivan Pace to alter his own footwork. And then that gives Tajay Spears the easy angle outside to the pylon for a touchdown. Very smart run. Very smart. Really run. nuanced run right there. That was cool to see. I hadn't seen that that clip. So that was excellent stuff. And that just shows kind of his mental processing and how nuanced he is as a runner with the football. And I think that's obvious on his tape as well. There's a, a lot to like about Tajay Spears. Let's get into a few of the things you might not like about Tajay Spears, the things that I wrote down. Um, the first one for me for sure is, yeah, I felt like he was competitive when it comes to pass protection, but can he pass protect at the NFL level at that size? That's another question. If he can't, will any NFL team ever trust him? on all three downs. Now you're talking about a two down player. Where can you draft a two down player? So that's something that's in mind for me, as well as the size, obviously at five, nine, 200, that's talking about, can he hold up with the similar workloads? The one he added to lane. I think you said it best, Nick, he's not going to, but he doesn't have to. We don't need that 15 great touches from a Tony Baller type or a Tajay Spears can change your offense. He doesn't need to be 25. I think another concern for me is just the jump in competition going from Tulane to the NFL. But I will say this watching him against USC quelled that concerns for me in a lot of ways. I also want to say one other thing was, and you brought this up a little earlier, but it's in my notes. So I'll bring it back up, which is he's not like that push the pile, get low, fall forward type of runner. That's not what he is. That's what he's going to be. And then the last thing, obviously, that I put on there was, uh, like you said before, has the ability to project as an NFL pass catcher at the next level, but doesn't really show it right now. And that's something that, again, will just be a projection based on things like his hand size and how he looked in those one-on-ones. And then finally, what you mentioned too earlier, which was it's not the cleanest injury profile with that torn ACL. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the cleanest. And I'll go through my weaknesses. Some of this might be redundant. I might have already said some of these things. And then I'll give my quick synopsis. So size and frame doesn't suggest a three down back can be a bit indecisive in a crowded box when behind the line of scrimmage, something that I noted when I first did this profile, only a tad over 200 pounds, not a brawler or a pile mover. Most of his rushing attempts were out of the shotgun, capable pass catcher, but not the most natural hands. Size and anchor could be issues in pass protection at the next level. Very limited special teams work in college, which is important for somebody who's not going to be your starting running back. Usually running backs have a long list of responsibilities on special teams, especially backup ones. Only two kick returns in his collegiate career and had the torn ACL in 2020. And here's the synopsis. Taji Spears is an excellent athlete with all the necessary movement skills, speed, and ability to make defenders miss in tight spaces. He is capable. He is a capable receiving threat who may have more to offer than we witnessed throughout his college career. He also competes his backside off when tasked to block, but his size might be an issue that has to be addressed at the next level in terms of his blocking. Spears has plays where he notices holes right before or as they open, but there are also plays of indecision against more crowded areas, which isn't surprising. He's better threat in space and does an exceptional job timing his unique agility to force missed tackles versus pursuit defenders. He will make for a very impressive change of pace back who teams will love. He has starting upside, but isn't a pile mover, nor will he be a 20 touch a game type of player. I think that's very fair. I think we broke down a lot of it now. Let's talk about before we wrap up and we get to and I want to and I want to touch on one thing just because sure. uh the the part about him being a little bit indecisive and I, I kind of think in a way this speaks to his credit. I think the indecision comes from him trying to find holes on the inside and not bouncing it outside. Remember back when Saquon mm-hmm. Barkley was in college at Penn State, one of his biggest critiques coming out 
was he bounces outside too often. You're not going to out athlete everybody at that level. I did feel like there were times on tape where Tajay Spears maybe could have bounced it outside, but he stuck with it a little bit too long on the inside to see if those blocks would develop. Cause there were times it's not like this is consistent throughout his tape. It's just something that I noted, but there were times where I was like, man, he probably could have bounced it outside there, but he was just a little bit too patient, which you can view as a knock. But at the same time, I do think there's also merit to it uh, just because he's not out athleting people. He's really kind of being patient, maybe behind better blockers at the next level. That won't be as big of an indictment on his game. Again, I don't really think it's an indictment. It's only something I noticed throughout a couple plays in his college tape. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense to me. And it's interesting. I'm thinking about it now because I mentioned earlier and I was like, I love that he's not like trying. So I see with a lot of these smaller backs, they are trying to always win the edge. And I kind of love it. But that's something interesting. Like maybe there are times, like you said, there are definitely times, at least the collegiate level. Now, I wonder if at the NFL level, when he plays behind actual offensive line, like he's playing again. Remember, these two lane offensive linemen, they're really, really bad relative to what the NFL has on the offensive and defensive line. I mean, these are guys that aren't even going to make. I don't know too much about this offensive line. I doubt I, you could correct me if you know this, Nick, but I don't think any of them are getting any looks right now for the NFL, at least the ones that declared this year. So, I mean, maybe at some point, one of these guys will be on a, the backside of a practice squad or something like that. But now you go to the NFL level and you're running behind 300 pound offensive linemen, average 300 pound on the cross your offensive line, likely average 320 these days. Often this line's gotten so big. And I almost feel like he can kind of, get in and out, weave in and out and like hide behind some of these offensive linemen and find his crease. And and I just think that that's going to give him an edge at the next level. I think about Austin Eckler a little bit with Tajay Spears. They're not that similar in style, but I just think about Austin Eckler in their in in, in how they're built. Like both kind of in that 5859 range, really low to the ground, really thick lower body and lower half. And that's and I watch Austin Eckler run and I think a lot of why he finds success when I watch the Chargers is He's just like very hard to bring down because he's running with such good leverage every single snap, so low to the ground. And that's kind of what what I'm reminded of watching uh, Spears run. And he also Spears, man, like he had some success though. Cause I did say the crowded box, like he was somebody who did have some explosive plays, some touchdown runs against like eight man boxes. Okay. So don't like, I don't want to make it like he can't do that. That is just something mm -hmm. that was a, one of the notes that I feel like popped up in certain situations, but it's not ubiquitous throughout his tape. Yeah. And it's worth discussing. And it just goes to show like when that's one of the, I want to, I don't want to say knocks, but like something to like bring up and, con and consider a concern. It just shows like there's not really that many concerns in this profile. This is a pretty good profile, man, with a lot of upside to it too. So it leads me to my next question. The Giants have shown obvious interest in him. They brought him in for a top 30 visit. Where would you be comfortable with the Giants taking him was the first question. And where would you be excited about the Giants taking him? So with the picks that they have now, it's, it would be the third round that I would be comfortable and I would be excited about it in the fourth round. And that might be a little bit too pie in the sky. It's just the Giants have a lot of holes, man. And that first and second round pick, if you're going to take a and running back's not a onesie position, as you like to say. But I, I would think I'd rather entertain maybe center there. I mean, that's where it gets a little weird. Like, would I like if John Michael Schmitz fell the second round? Possibly, but I would still rather probably go a wide receiver. But it also depends on who is there. There's, there's a lot of stuff. But Giants could trade down. And if the Giants trade down at, say, 25 and they trade out of the first round or even trade down to 30 or 30, whatever, right? 31. 
then you're going to have more day two picks. And that's where I'm like, okay, so let's think of an actual pick selection where I would be okay. It would be after 57, but maybe around 70 or something like that. Like I think Taji Spears is a top 70 player in this class. Like I think there's a good argument for that. So I'd probably say if the Giants were to acquire more assets and it depends on how the board falls, then around that area of the draft. What about you? I think that's a really good way to look at it. Like we, we can consider the, potential of a trade down or a scenario where the giants are acquiring more picks and they have different range in the draft. And so I think that's like, if the giants do trade back and acquire more picks, I think that's probably the 65 to 70 range is where I'd start to consider him. Now, as far as what they have right now, I'm right there with you. I'd be comfortable taking him at 89 overall. Cause I think when you get to 89 range, you're real, unless you're going off ball linebacker or running back and, and, I can't think of too many other positions or center, I guess, though. Again, like with centers, I feel like a lot of the times you're getting the dude from Temple, you're getting like the Hennessy's, the guys who are just never really making much of an impact at the NFL level. Like I just, I, I know I bring him up a bunch, but like it's just Not like, a Hennessy guy. And no, I don't like any of these undersized centers that I've seen like pushed up draft boards and like they're the number one ranked guy in the shit class. And then they're like, you watch them and you're like, eh. Ben Bredesen can probably do that same thing. Eh, you find Nick Gates. He's a tackle at Nebraska. Now he's a center. He's pretty good, too. He's holding up. John Feliciano, cut by the Bills. And he has a pretty good year. Like, center is not a position for me like that. But, you know, when you get to that 89 range, if you're gambling on corners and receivers at that point, to me, they're a lot of times dart throws. You may be able to find a Cordell Flott type in that range who's, like, not a dart throw from an athleticism or projection standpoint, but a dart throw from a standpoint of he doesn't really have good film yet. And you're just kind of banking on your coach's molding. But if you're looking for the complete thing, like in my mind, like what Spears offers right here, which is great production and great film plus great athletic profile, you're not really getting that anywhere but running back. And to me, if you're getting great production and great profile, you're getting you're making a good bet. Like that's a good gamble at that point. Um, so at 89 overall, I not only be comfortable, I'd be pretty happy with that pick for the Giants. I'd be pretty damn excited. Obviously, round four, I'm thrilled with that kind of pick. But the only thing that makes me less excited about round three, and to some extent round four, would be that it is also the position where I know every single round forward, like if we take Tajay Spears round three, every single round forward at round pick four, round five, round six, I'm going to be like, I love this running back here, Nick. I love this running back here, Nick. Obviously, we're not going to take two running backs in this class after re-signing Saquon Barkley, but that's the problem. That's the kind of the pitfall behind it of like, you know, you're going to still love the value at running back from every pick on. Yeah. Kendry Miller from TCU, Oklahoma's Eric Gray. Like there's a lot of guys and I like Taji Spears better than those two players, but I also really like those players. So it really depends on the value, value too. As, as you said, at value. So I'm going to ask you this question, Dan, Zach Charbonnet or Taji Spears. And do you think the selection of those two tell you maybe a different story or give you an idea of what the giants might be thinking. If the giants were to select either of those two, I know what you're saying there in the sense of like, if they select a Charbonnet, it might, are you, are you, are you saying, does that mean something for Saquon Barkley's future? Or is yeah. that, am I reading too much into this? No, no, that's what, it is what you're trying to say. Yeah. If they select a Charbonnet, it's going to have to be in my mind in round two anyway, because I don't think he's going to last 89 overall but you never know with running backs. So if they take a running back like Charbonnet in round two with that three down profile, I do think it says something about where they're headed with these Psycho and Barkley negotiations, which they which claim. I don't think it's going to happen either. No, I don't think it's going to happen, but they yeah. claim those negotiations will pick back up now in July. Who knows? But the draft is before July. So it's like, eh, I don't know. So yeah, I think it does say something, but if they were both on the board and they took a Spears, 
that would disappoint me because I don't think they need to just, but I, I won't say it's too disappointing though, because even though I think Charbonnet is a better bet to be like in all every down running back and the, and the better player in the NFL level Spears offers something Charbonnet doesn't offer to this giants offense. He offers explosion and the chance for explosive plays and the chance for just having another guy in the field that defenses are accounting for when he goes in pre-snap motion. I love Charbonnet. He's one of my favorite backs in this class. He's my RB two, but defenses aren't really accounting for him on a play by play basis. That's not his game. That's not what he brings to your offense. You, put spears on this giants offense you run a little bit more pony he's coming in motion like brita was he's moving all around your formation you're flexing him out and you're throwing him a quick hitter outside you're getting your offensive lineman out there your tight ends to block you know all these little different things and now every time he's on the field defense is like up oh, spears is on the field you know key this in where is he going to be what kind of motion is going to be and what do we need to do to adjust for this and that's the difference there so i don't even think i would be that disappointed or anything if they took a spears over any real back in this class besides maybe like jamar gibbs because then i'm like eh, gibbs is a better version of spears. not they're different backs but like gibbs offer also offers that explosives in your offense but i doubt they would ever make that move anyway yeah i doubt it too but gibbs man oof. he's uh got some real level different explosive. level explosive yep yeah, he really, sure. he, he really is an explosive player. So uh, do you want to get to this mock draft, bud? Yeah, so we said we're going to do a mock draft as many as we can. All you have to do is send in your mock draft to our iTunes by leaving us a rating and review. So I'm pulling up on my phone right now. If you see me looking at my phone, that's why, because this one didn't go on iTunes, but I told them we would read it anyway, because iTunes, again, takes a while to load these. I now see that two more reviews or three more reviews of uh, mock drafts have come in through iTunes. What we're going to just save those for now. Um, we're going to address them. We're doing so many podcasts at this point. We're ripping them off. So just at an incredible pace. So we, we might as well save some of those. So if you are Mimi3193 and you left us a five-star with your mock, thank you. We will get to yours. Same thing goes for R49739 and SOF23194. Your mocks will be addressed and graded on coming podcasts. But for now, we're going to do Jacob Edelstein's mock draft. And this is an interesting one, Nick. So I'll read it to you right now off my phone. Oh, you got it right up there. So he trades down from pick uh, from the first pick and picks up 35 overall. So he moves down 10 spots with the Colts, 79 overall, third rounder, and 106 in round four. Then trades again and gives up 35 and pick 100 for 71 and 40. So now he's racked up thir- uh, 40. 79, 71, and 106 from all these trade backs. At 40 overall, a similar range to where the Giants selected Wando Robinson. In this mock, this would be their first pick. It's Josh Downs, the wide receiver out of North Carolina. Then in round two at 57 overall, they take Joe Tipman, the center out of Wisconsin. Then Garrett Williams, the corner out of Syracuse at 71 overall. 79 overall with the newly acquired 79 overall. Nick Herbig, edge rusher for Wisconsin. And that's two Wisconsin Badgers in their first four picks. I got to be happy with that. Linebacker Dorian Williams out of Tulane at 89 overall. A sleeper star potential guy just from a value standpoint for both Nick and I at 106 with that newly acquired 106. Kendry Miller, the running back at a TCU. I think he's arguably the best value of any running back in this draft class on a pure value basis. He's likely going in this 106 range. I think he could go top 50, top 60 in another kind of class. Moro Ojamo out of Texas, the defensive interior lineman at 128. Zach Kuntz, the tight end at 161 overall. Zach Kuntz, for those who don't know, is getting a top 30 visit from the Giants. I think, you know what I mentioned before, Nick, about those top 30 visits? Like, sometimes it's just that they want more information on a player. I think that's purely for that. Like, they're like, holy crap, this dude had the most insane athletic testing I've ever seen for an athlete for a tight end. We at least got to bring him in and see, like, how smart he is. on the. You know, like, I think the Giants and teams who bring him in are just doing that. It's probably, like... Eh, we don't love the tape, but let's just see if there's something there. But 
interesting. Chamari Connor, the safety out of Virginia Tech at 208. Lonnie Phillips, the edge out of Kansas at 217. Katon Thompson, the wide receiver for Virginia, who I don't know anything about. Hunter Lopke, the fullback. And thank you for making me pronounce all these, Nick. Hunter Lopke, the fullback right there <laughs> at, at 244 overall in North Dakota State. And Nick Jones, the corner out of Ball State with their last pick. So they end up taking three, six, nine, 12, 13 players after all these trade downs. I got to say, 13 rookies aren't making this roster right now. But I digress. Hey, more kicks at the can is what we yeah, discussed a lot. And I like the trade downs. Look, I think we could do an entire podcast on should the Giants target a player like Josh Downs after selecting Wandell Robinson with a top 50 pick last year. But as we've said several times throughout this podcast, and there are two wide receivers who have a, who are under contract next year. So you need wide receivers. Josh Downs is a clean evaluation, very smart player, and I really like the player. So I don't hate that pick. I would like to know who was available at 25 when the trade was made, but the Giants get good value here to move down 10 picks, and then there's another trade where the Giants move down, I think like another five picks or something like that, right? So you get yeah. Josh Downs at wide receiver. Joe Tippman, you get that center who I feel like fits really well with what the New York Giants want to do. I I like that pick. I do. Like again, it's gonna come down to value, who's on the board, etc. But the 71, you get Garrett Williams. And Garrett Williams is a Syracuse cornerback who tore his ACL late in the season. I don't know if he's gonna be ready, but I'll say this: he might not be the best athlete but he's very smart. He's a clean prospect in terms of he doesn't commit stupid penalties. He's not overly grabby. I, I can't remember the game I was watching, but there was a game where he was basically playing off coverage on the number one who ran a deep post. And it was a ruse from the offense because they ran a tight end wheel around and he read the entire thing. So he covered the deep post, stayed on top, just used his eyes to see that the tight end was coming open into the middle of the field, came off the post, and then just ran right through the catch point and got an interception against, um, I can't remember the team, but either way, it was a very nice mental processing type of play. So you add that cornerback depth, getting a guy, I feel like, who is a high upside player, just from the sense that not a lot of people are talking about him, but he seems to have some good technical traits for playing cornerback in Garrett Williams. Nick Herbig, that's all you, bro. I have not watched him yet, but uh, you, if you want to opine a little bit even more on him you can dorian williams that's a light linebacker pursuit guy sideline to sideline type of player not great in the box right now similar to a lot of the other linebackers but a very long one similar to bobby okereke from that standpoint i think in round three i think it may be a little bit too early but i do like dorian williams i think i had like a round four late round four grade on him when i did his evaluation i really like as i said before his teammate nick anderson a little bit less but he's just undersized and a very small player love kendry miller uh, Ojama is just like a very long Texas defensive lineman, like 285 pounds, kind of between her. You can use him as a five technique, gigantic hands, long traits type of players at Kuntz, as you said, gigantic and other traits type of players. So I like the upside betting on the traits and all these other players. I don't have too much on personally. I don't, I don't know enough to opine on their profiles, but overall, I like a lot of these picks. I don't think I love the draft though. I don't know if there's a lot of those like star power behind it, but I'm going to give it a nice solid B. What about you, Dan? I think that was a good evaluation, Nick, and, and in a lot of ways, very fair. 
I'll also give it a B. I, I don't want to just copy your grade, but it's kind of where I was at here. It's a solid B. It's it's not lower than a B. It's not B minus C plus because there's so much depth that you get in this class and there's a lot of needs addressed. There's a lot of players who I think are just great values. Kendry Miller is just a great value. Yes. If you can get him at 104, just absolute great value. And then I like some of the trait bets that you made that you talked about um, later in the draft with their, basically their next two picks there after Kendry Miller. So I think they do really good in that day three range on this. Josh Downs as the as the as a you know premier player in this class, I don't love it. But at the same time, I think about it and I'm like, yeah, but we'd probably be okay with like Jordan Addison at 25 and Zay Flowers. And I know they're different players, but Josh Downs is really like from the little I've seen of him so far, he looks really good. And that's just a little I've seen on tape. I watched a lot of him because I bet Drake May every single week for UNC. So I just watched a ton of UNC games last year, and he was phenomenal on broadcast too. So it's like I don't know. And then Joe Titman, like you said, you know, I'm going to like him. It's not just because he went to Wisconsin. I like Joe Titman because he's long. He moves well in space. He's incredible strength with the 635 pound squats. He's a freak. According to Bruce Feldman's freak list. Like he has all the athleticism that translate at that position. I want to talk a little bit about Nick Herbig. So I don't want to just hit every Wisconsin player, Nick. And it's like, Oh, I like every single one. Let's be clear. I don't like every single Wisconsin player. Benton is a player, the defensive tackle, the interior defensive lineman, a lot of people are hyped about in this class. I don't think he's worth taking early. I think he should be a day three pick. I think he was good. It was good at what he did it in Wisconsin. They were definitely a better team when he was on the field and he missed some time. They were a worse team, but he's the typical, like he's just a nose. who's not going to offer anything crazy. He's not going to have a Dexter Lawrence year four breakout where he's all of a sudden like dominating centers in the past game and pushing people back. And now he's like, Oh my God, we have the two way guy. He's the one way nose and I'm not going to use. So there are guys I don't like from Wisconsin. Graham Mertz, their quarterback who transferred to Florida. I think he sucks. I think he's absolutely terrible. And I know Nick has now had to watch him because he watched uh, Tittman to, for, for the Giants. And he's like, and, he, and we were texting through and he's like, oh my God, is Graham Mertz bad? I was like, he's everything you said he was. And I was like, you know, you're damn right he is. He's a terrible player. And so I don't love every Wisconsin guy, but Nick Herbig is a guy who I think everybody's sleeping on in this class. And it seems to happen with all these second level Wisconsin players. They don't always work out. A guy, Nick and I both liked the film of two years ago or three years ago with the Saints. Um, Zach Bond. Zach Bond hasn't worked out. But at the same time, a lot of these second-level linebackers have really seemed to work out. Leah Chanel, amazing rookie season. It came on super strong at the end. And then I've been reading, and because I've been trying to like purse through um, different like beat podcasts. I'm trying to find draft podcasts, Nick, and I don't feel like there's that many good ones out there. We talked about this off the pod. But one of them is like getting into team nitty-gritty stuff. And they were talking Bears. And apparently at the end of the season, Jack Sanborn, made a really big impact. And there's like now some belief that he could be a, a, a starter or potentially like a, like a have a decent role in that defense. Jack Sanborn was undrafted at Wisconsin last year. I knew he was going to stick on an NFL roster. I was so certain watching his film at Wisconsin. And so these second level guys, Herbig, there are issues with him from a translation standpoint. It's why he's not really talked about or buzzed about. He doesn't have long arms. He doesn't have a lot of the things that you think are prototypical to an edge rusher, but he's so freaking super productive in that Wisconsin scheme in that Jim Leonard scheme. And he had, and he gets the job. He's always in the backfield, tons of tackles for losses, tons of pressures. And so that production is there for sure. And I'm definitely intrigued by him as well. I think Wisconsin, other than Leo Chanel, who was very exciting is the most underwhelming linebacker. You, right? Like everybody yeah. thinks they're this, you, that you DBU uh-huh. linebacker, you, you guys kind of are linebacker, you, but you're very underwhelming. You're not sexy or flashy. Yeah. Like you have guys like TJ Edwards who like no right. one wants the draft, but ends up playing like over a thousand snaps in a <laughs> Super Bowl team on a Super Bowl team. And like you kind of go through the NFL. There's a lot of Wisconsin linebackers yep. in the league. Van Ginkle is really a really are. good player for the Dolphins, a really good player for the Dolphins, Van Ginkle. Exactly. But going into the draft, they're not other than right. Leo Chanel. 
Nobody gave a shit about any of these guys. <laughs> and even Leo Chanel fell to the end of round three. It's like no one really yeah. gave a shit about him. Zach Bond's the only one who got like a decent draft capital at all these guys. Even TJ Watt, dude. TJ Watt was filthy that at was Wisconsin. Yeah. Filthy at Wisconsin. And everyone's like, ah, nah, he can't translate to the next level. Not enough athleticism. Doesn't have the arm length. He goes all the way to the back end of round one. He was the best player in that freaking class, TJ Watt. I wasn't even considering him. I consider him more of an edge. He he played more of an edge role, right? But yeah, I'm including the edges yeah. and the off ball because okay, Herbig so is an edge too. Herbig, they think they, I've say, seen some people think he could play inside. He's gonna have to be like an edge type. I don't, I don't really think he has the skill set to play inside. Gotcha. It's just kind of funny to me that nobody ever talks about these guys yet. They're like ten year starters in the NFL. I know they come from a good defense, Jim Leonard, but now he's gone. But anyway, we're giving you a B for that one. Thank you for tuning it in. Uh, thank you for turning in, I should say, Jacob. And for everyone else, we have three mocks on the docket. So yours, our force, 9739, you're going to get yours. Mean Me is going to get yours. And so those will come on coming shows. But if you want your mock draft read, evaluated, and graded by us, just send it in on your iTunes review. Leave it in the comments with a five-star, and, we'll, and you'll get it. Um, and thanks so much for everyone tuning into the Big Blue Bander podcast. More draft content coming your way. Have a great weekend or week or wherever you hear this. At this point, we're recording so many in such a like short span. We don't know when we're going to drop them. So I, this could be this. All I know is you're in the future. I'm in the past. So enjoy this whenever that comes.